Welcome to the Heartled Brand Podcast. I'm your host, Evan McGrew, and today is a very special episode because I'm going to be chatting with one of my very own clients, Rebecca J. Designs. So if you don't know, outside of this podcast, I am the founder and creative director at Wayfarer Design Studio, and this past year, we had the ultimate ultimate pleasure of working with Rebecca on her big rebrand. We're actually going to be chatting with a few of our own clients this year on the podcast about how they built their businesses and launched their first products. And it just makes sense for Rebecca to be the first because she's the sweetest. She's always eager to chat business and be super vulnerable. And we're just big fans of everything that she does and her beautiful jewelry. So Rebecca Jaramillo is a jeweler and metalsmith mother and wife based out of Seattle, Washington, where she produces jewelry and objects with the intention to hold space for all that you are, all the places you're going, and all the important pieces of who you are. In this episode, we dive into some really juicy topics like making the leap to go full-time with your business, which some of you might be considering doing for 2024, and also talking about the importance of community in the entrepreneur world. I'm so excited for you to hear Rebecca's story, so let's get into it. Hey, Rebecca, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show and talk about your business with us. So I always start interviews with an icebreaker so we can get to know you a little bit better. What was your dream job as a kid? I'm really curious to hear. Well. Good morning to me. I think it's good evening to you, but thank you so much for having me on here. This is really fun. I just did a post about this actually on my Instagram. My dream job was to be an artist and I was always very crafty. I always was making things. I was always inventing little things, building you know, box forts in my front yard that were like massive or, you know, painting things or making things on looms. Like I was a like quintessential art kid and I definitely wanted to be an artist when I grew up. And so the post that I just did on my Instagram was all about how baby Becca would be really proud of adult Becca for being an artist and making a living as an artist. And I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. That doesn't shock me at all. <laughs> I don't think that, that, that that was your dream from the yeah. beginning. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there were other things that involved like animals or something like that. But mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. At some point I was like, oh, a veterinarian would be fun. But no, mm-hmm. always, always is art. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I was the same. <laughs> I mean, we both ended up in creative fields, but I was the same. I was always so artsy, always doodling. Like, yeah, I just couldn't help myself. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I would love to dive into your business journey. So what were you doing before you officially started your jewelry business? And yeah, kind of what led you to decide to go the entrepreneurship route and build a business from what you love. Yeah. So being a person, an artist who can't really figure out what she wants to do, I took me a while to get through college because I started out doing interior design. I went to the Art Institute of Seattle and I don't know. I guess I thought as a college student, you know, as someone who was approaching college in the terms of like, I need to make money from my, whatever my career is, right? Like I need to do something that's going to make me money. Interior design was kind of one of those things where I was like, I could get paid for being creative, like doing creative things. And it was not long before I figured out that that was not the right place for me. And I had some subtle and not so subtle encouragements from teachers who were there that I think that they had probably gone through more of a fine art practice and they were kind of, you know, very encouraging of my fine art abilities and were, you know, like, hey, maybe this isn't the right place for you and kind of whispered on the side. And I'm really grateful for them to, first of all, to have been to see that, but also to have the nerve to say something that maybe I wasn't in the right place. And maybe I was already kind of exuding the 
you know, idea that I, I wasn't in the right place for myself. But so that was, you know, right out of high school. And after I left there, I just took art classes at the community college level. So I was drawing, painting, printmaking. And I kind of just continually took those classes. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I just paid for classes at the community college level. I had a great instructor. He was amazing. And I just let myself do that. After a while, I didn't get bored, but I was like, okay, college needs to produce something. And so I totally swung the opposite direction and was doing all academics, like math, religion, literature, psychology. And I was student body president. Like I did so like completely opposite thing for a while. And, and then I ended up graduating and here in Seattle, you can, with a, an associate's degree, you can transfer into the university of Washington. You don't need to be accepted. You just automatically transfer in. And so I did that and I went in as a go figure an interdisciplinary major because still could not figure out (laughs) what was my thing? Cause I just still, I didn't have a thing. I liked all the things. And so I saw on one day was, you know, going through the class register of like what classes to pick. And there was metal smithing 101. And I was like, Oh my God, that's so awesome. And the class was full and they, I, I must've talked to the teacher at some point And she was like, there's always someone that doesn't show up for the first day of class. And there's only 12, benches and so only 12 students each quarter and she was like come on the first day of class and if someone doesn't show up then we'll do a lottery for their class and she pulled my name out of a hat and I got into that class and was enamored like totally fell in love head over heels I loved every single bit of it and yeah I think like midway through, I changed my major and was like, Oh, I am going to do this. This is definitely something I love. It's definitely I could see something doing for the rest of my life. And so I think, and during that time, I got a job at Costco. It was my like, you know, after school job, like I worked there five (laughs) to 10, I pushed carts, I worked like the pizza place, I boxed groceries, that turned into a 23 career, 23 year career at Costco. I moved through a bunch of the ancillary departments. I worked in like membership and returns. And then the majority of the time I was in the print and copy center, which was really interesting. It was a really small department, but I learned a lot about the print trade, about graphic design stuff. I saw a lot of really horrible graphic design and I saw a lot of great graphic design, which, you know, being an interdisciplinary artist, I was like, Oh, I can do this. And so it was interesting, because the pieces that I was making in in college were obviously like art, it was definitely like, not necessarily a collection of jewelry pieces that you would buy as a traditional owner of jewelry. It was more gallery work. And so one of the pieces that I made up to graduate, I was like a, I cut pieces of wood in these like kind of like strips. And then I was drilling holes in them and I was filling them with colored resin. And so I made this like, almost like a big Elizabethan collar out of like, that kind of like came around your whole head and it came down partly on your, um, on your kind of breast area. And, um, it was just like these like sharp shards of wood that stuck out with, um, this, like all these different colored resin dots on it. Um, and I had so many of those pieces left over the wood with the resin in them that I just started cutting those and making different pieces of jewelry. So they were like on earrings and they, I set them on rings and, and pendants and different things like that. And so my first collection outside of school was with those pieces on sterling silver chains. And I made like silver circles and stuff like that. And it just was really like, you know, obviously a, a, a kind of a bridge from one thing to the other, but I found the thing for me And the biggest worry for me as I left school was what I was going to do when someone wasn't telling me. I really liked working within parameters. So when I was in school, a teacher would give you an assignment and it would be like, we're learning this technique 
and you need to use this source of inspiration or come at it from this angle or whatever. And so it was like parameters that kind of set around whatever my, whatever the skill was that we were learning that, that really helped me be creative when the floor was open and it was just like open floodgates. I just felt like I was very lost. And so I knew that about myself that as a student, I was a really good student, but on my own, I was really, really worried that I wouldn't be able to come up with parameters for myself. And so I was like, okay, how do I give myself parameters? And so my first thing that I did as I got out of school was a lot of my friends were getting married. And I, I working in the print and copy department, we were making a lot of wedding invitations. And so I kind of saw the spark of inspiration around that parameter, which was making wedding jewelry out of the pieces and the elements from your, from your wedding. So like taking paper and embedding the paper and like making pendants for all of your bridesmaids or different things like that. And so I got the most expensive booth that I've ever had. And I went to the Seattle wedding show and I had to invent clients for myself. And so I, because I'd never really done this before, I'd had a few and friends, but I invented, um, I made all the invitations. So like I Mm -hmm. like created all these fake clients. And so like I had a country Western client and then I had like, Mm -hmm. like all of these different themes or whatever. And then, and then I would display the jewelry with it so that you could kind of see the connections between the elements that you chose for your wedding and then how I could combine those elements into this jewelry. Anyways, so the, I kept getting the question over and over and over again at the, the, event if I was making wedding invitations. And I kept saying no, I was like, Oh, my God, I was so mad. And I was like, I understood why because I was displaying all of these invitations. I was like, No, 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 I make the jewelry to go with the invitations, like I make the jewelry that aligns with this. And so clearly my like, the way I was telling the story was not right. And, and yeah, so I ended up saying yes. And I was doing graphic design and jewelry for a long time. And I really decided that I wanted to be a jeweler and not a graphic designer anymore. But I really think that that informed the first part of my business for a long time was doing both of those things together. Yeah. And so, so how long then have you been in business? When was the Um, start? That I graduated from the University of Washington in 2005. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, 2023, what is that? 18 years? That's a long time. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but I was, I, I continue to work at Costco for, like I said, 23 years. So I've only been a full time artist now since 2020. So almost, what is it, three and a half years. And so I, I, I always, I, I, I worked the minimum amount of hours that I needed to for healthcare. And, you know, it wasn't my ideal job, but it was easy. It didn't stress me out. I liked my coworkers and it really paid the bills. And because I had worked there so long, I had a really good schedule. So most of the time I had the weekends off because I was a veteran. And so I could spend my weekends doing, you know, craft shows or working in the studio. And when I wasn't in school, after I graduated, you know, I was working during the day. And then in the evenings before I had a kid, I was, you know, working in my studio, making art. And, you know, it really provided for my family and Mm -hmm. So it was, I mean, it was a hard thing all the whole time that I worked there. I did not want to work there. I only (laughs) wanted to be running my business. I did not want to work for any, I didn't want to work for them. I just wanted to be creative. But I think the, I I think it really was important looking back on it. I don't think I, I don't think I would be as good of a business owner if I, if I hadn't had that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm interested, what were maybe some challenges that you faced? I mean, from one business owner to another, I know everything in the beginning is difficult yeah. and challenging, but yeah. were there any specific challenges that you had in the beginning or any like maybe mistakes that you made mm-hmm. that you're willing to share about? Yeah, I definitely say the biggest challenge for me was 
working a job. Like I think that was the hardest mm-hmm. thing. It was the be- it was the thing that got in my way the most. You know, I had a very limited amount of time to work on my business. Looking back, I see it as being able to remain constant, not being not making like super drastic decisions because I really couldn't. I didn't have the time frame to do that. You know, I don't know, like I'm 45 and, you know, I feel like my whole business changed once I started doing this full time. Mm -hmm. I'm still dealing with the fact that like things that would normally have taken me so long because I didn't have a lot of time to work on them. I still plan for this like, like exorbitant amount of time to do things Mm. because it used to take me a long time because I didn't have that much time. So like the thing that I was doing was really strung out over the course of, you know, a week or two or whatever. Whereas now I can sit down for a day and do something and then it's done. And that Mm -hmm. isn't, you know, having a whole day in the studio is like crazy to me still. It's like, I, you know, I haven't grown out of that. And so I think that was probably my biggest struggle. But like I said, looking back on it, I do think that it was a great, I don't have the best words to say it, but I do feel like it, it has benefited me to kind of do the slow and steady like pace of, of business growth. Mm -hmm. It restrained me. And I think that that for me personally is probably a good thing. I could be kind of like wild and make crazy decisions and you know I still haven't I still am conservative (laughs) but (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, I think maybe as a younger you know uh, less responsible adult maybe I might have made some more brash decisions if given the opportunity to (laughs) (laughs) do you have any advice because that is such a a big leap to make whenever if you are running your business on the side and then you decide to finally leave the safer <laughs> job that maybe mm-hmm. you've been working at to finally go full time with your business yeah a lot of people find themselves at that point and it's yeah. so hard to know is it really the right time is there ever a right mm-hmm. time do you have any tips on like Maybe not to know if it is the right time or not, because I don't think there is an answer for that, Mm -hmm. but maybe just tips on how to handle making that decision or that transition. Yeah. So um, I quit during the pandemic. So I quit my job. It was like, I think I left there in like June of 2020. Before the pandemic though, we had already set a date for me to quit working there and to begin doing this full time. But I had to get to a certain place where financially the, the, you know, the signs were there that my business was going to be sustainable. And, and part of that was just watching my finances, obviously, like every year I was bringing in a little bit more money and I was doing things better and I had better systems and different things like that. And so it was obvious that there was enough growth and then coupled with my drive and determination, obviously, for <laughs> doing it that that long, you know, on the side, I was like, what would happen if I could spend a whole day, a whole week? working on this like could it be you know if I can do this much money with you know basically I worked at Costco three days a week and then I had you know the weekends plus you know two other days so basically I had four days a week which did not ever mean that because I had a baby and all that other stuff so it was really like I you know I maybe spent 28 hours, maybe 10 in the studio a week. And and by me, by that, I mean, like creating new collections and like designing things and making things and producing orders and all that good stuff or going to markets, different things like that. So I, I think my best advice is just to hang on. I mean, and for knowing the right time, yeah, there's definitely not a, a, a right time. But I think for me, 
having that time to set up my systems and to be in a place where I could see what was, what was happening. In August of 2019, I did my first wholesale trade show where I was selling jewelry to shops, you know, store owners, buyers, they would come and buy my collections and then sell them in their store. And so it was my first time doing that. And, and it went well. And I went again in February, they're usually twice a year. So August and February, I went again in February of 2020. And that was right before the pandemic. And it was great. Also, I did about the same at both markets. And that was the final like indicator to myself and my husband that yes, this is going to work. I can do this. I can quit my job and we'll be able to make it work. And, and so the plan was to quit in April and, and then the pandemic happened. And of course, a lot of the orders that I had gotten at that show were canceled because stores were closed. Owners were, you know, rightly freaked out about nobody coming into their stores and how they were going to sell things and which way they were going to pivot different things like that. And so it got a little scary. So I bypassed (laughs) my April, (laughs) my April date of, you know, quitting Costco. And, and then finally, in June, you know, I was trying to help my daughter work from home. And during that time, I had also I totally forgot about this until just now, but I had taken a leave of absence. So I took leave of absence right after I got back from that trade show, because I was like, I had so much work to produce that I just couldn't do both jobs. And so Costco does this amazing winter leave of absence. And I took that. And then they ended up having COVID leave of absence. And I took that. And so basically, they maintain your insurance. And they pay for the insurance for you. You, I didn't take any income, you know, wasn't making any money from Costco, but they helped maintain my health insurance. And then I had to pay back any costs on that when I when I did go back. And so really, the only reason I went back to Costco was to pay back for my health insurance during those couple of months. And it was like the best time I was free. I was creative. I was like open time. I just sat in my studio and it was like the most magical time. I think we just talked about this when we, before we started the call, but like how crazy COVID was. And it was like the most amazing pivotal thing for me as an artist to see what it's like when life slows down and Mm. how how wonderful that is for the creative and and what they can do like just I I I get goosebumps when I think about it like I'm I was in my brain COVID was a magical time (laughs) I mean aside from like the crazy weird parts of it and the fear and different things like in my home in my space in my brain in my studio with my family it was a really magical time and Mm -hmm. so I'm really fortunate that I was able to take that time away from Costco. And, and, and again, it still, it proved to me that it was a good time to, to quit my job and that I could, mm-hmm. and that I could do it. So, yeah, <laughs> it is funny. Cause I feel like most of the founders that I've talked to on this podcast, a lot of them, maybe they had their business idea before, but almost all of them started it during COVID. And it is, like you said, it was a horrible time for the world, but interesting, all of the creativity and entrepreneurial Mm -hmm. things that were kind Mm -hmm. of sparked during that time, just because people had to kind of look inward and be with themselves and also reprioritize what mattered to them, what they really wanted to like spend their time. Yeah. doing right so and there's nothing else to do right cool. there's no obligations yeah. there's no parties there's no there was no nothing so it was literally how do you spend your time during the day when you don't have a job to go to or whatever like it just was yeah I I I also have talked to so many creatives who that that was a pretty magical time I mean mm-hmm. I don't I don't envy 
I mean, I'm glad I wasn't a store owner during that time because I think that would have been a really, really hard and difficult place to be. And so I loved at a couple of the last trade shows that I did, I won back a bunch of the stores that had canceled their orders during the pandemic. So that was like the really so amazing to know that my work still applied and was was important to them but then but that they survived and and that that we could kind of rekindle a relationship so that was like extra it was extra good (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah so I'd love to talk about jewelry for a bit like into the process (laughs) and everything because I feel like jewelry is an industry where well, now with like bridal, like engagement jewelry, people are becoming more conscious of like how that's made or where things are mm-hmm. sourced or things like that. But in general, I feel like most consumers, you're buying jewelry, but you're not really thinking about like, how is this actually made? Like all mm-hmm. the work that goes into making it. I would love mm-hmm. to hear you share like, what do you wish people knew about? how you make jewelry. I just think that would be interesting to hear like what your take is on that. What do you wish people knew about the time it takes or or anything mm. about like the process as the person who actually makes the jewelry? Um, let's see. So I guess one of the biggest processes is my work is created via a process called lost wax casting, which is a very ancient technique. It has definitely as technology has improved, gotten less archaic, but it's still very similar to how it's always been done. And so when I first design a collection, I create individual pieces out of carving wax or shaping soft wax. I also use polymer clay, which is really, it's really fun. Like I really love polymer clay. It's awesome. I I think a lot of people are familiar with buying polymer clay jewelry. It's colorful. And there's so many people have come up with so many different ways to um, play with the medium. But essentially, when you make an object that's going to be made into a mold, really, you can you can do anything. So you could cast a shell or you could, you know, some kind of twig, you know, like there's it's Anything can be really made into a mold, which could then be made into metal. And so the polymer clay was really a fun exploration for me. Um, I made a bunch of polymer clay early on when I was trying to figure out what what type of jewelry I wanted to make. Um, and, and so I had some just sitting around and wax can sometimes be a little bit finicky, especially soft wax. When, when I was forming um, pieces for this last collection, I really wanted this like very loose, organic, like very earthy feel and nothing that was like very smoothly sanded or like fairly precise. And so with the polymer clay, I was able to like really press it and shape it into these like loose, wavy, curly, um, you know, inspired shapes from um, seaweeds and like that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, once the objects are made, I send them to a casting company and they make a mold out of those pieces. And then the molds are then injected with wax and then they can do those repeatedly. So they can make eight different, you know, eight rings or, you know, 15 necklaces or whatever my order is. And then, and then they basically pour investment over the wax and then they melt the wax out. So they have a negative shape, which they can fill with um, molten metal. And so it's a really, it's a fascinating process. I did it in college. It's cool. It's like very exciting, but it is, I don't have a big enough studio to do it. And so I love Mm -hmm. that I get to employ a small company to do it for me and they, they use a lot of recycled metals, which is really great for me. I work with two different casting companies. One of them is a woman-owned business, which I really, I love being able to choose my partners in that way. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a cool process. Yeah. And I wanted to also ask about sourcing materials and things like that. I know recently on your Instagram, you were talking about the like pearls and stuff that you Uh used in your most recent collection, but because I've worked with 
a few jewelers, I've kind of learned how big of like a part of the job that is of like yeah. kind of sourcing materials that you're going to use and can also yeah. be like complicated if like yeah. those materials, the prices can like fluctuate um, yeah. or maybe they're just like not available really anywhere mm-hmm. or things like that. I don't, I don't know. There's just so much. And again, this is just stuff that people don't really think about and yeah. can inform, especially when you're shopping f- from smaller jewelry designers. I don't know, just important stuff to like have context in, in how yeah. how everything is made. What are some things that you think about when like sourcing the materials and, and things that you're yeah. using to create your jewelry? Yeah, pearls is new to me. And working with gemstones in general is is a newer thing for me. I'm working on building my my collections to do some more fine jewelry. And so Pearl, even just sourcing pearls was like um, kind of mind boggling how long it took. I mean, thank God for the internet. I don't know how people did this before the internet, but like, <laughs> I mean, if you couldn't Google something, you know, to find it, you had to like go out and shop around, which that doesn't really exist anymore either. There aren't really people that have, I mean, there are some sources here in Seattle, um, but I live in a big city, like, you know, and it's not that available. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it does, it takes a really a freakishly long amount of time. I mean, I think I probably spent the better part of several days trying to find pearls in a specific size. And of course, the first time I bought them, I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to get. And they ended up being perfect. But then finding that same one again was really, really, really hard. Like it took a mm-hmm. long time. And now I have like several that I've ordered that are not the right size. And so now I have some stuff in my stash that I can use for another project. But yeah, I spent some money on stuff that I'm not not ready to use at the moment. I think my work is a little different in that my sourcing of stuff is not necessarily like elements to use in, in and of the fact that like, I've had to go through several different casting companies to figure out mm-hmm. who the right person is for me. And they're so so much that you don't know when you are learning. Like I've been doing this for a really long time now. I've been casting pieces. Gosh, I wish I could remember what year this was. I think it was probably like 20, I want to say 2012, maybe the first cast collection that I did. And before that, I was using a lot of piecework and like I was buying things from like Etsy or whatever. And I was doing a lot of assembling of things. Um, And so my first cast collection, I just worked with the casting company that that some of my friends had used in college. And that was just who I used. They ended up being great in one spe- aspect and then not great in another aspect. They ended up closing their business. And so I had to go to a different company. And just as an example, as this one company was shutting down, and I was transferring my work into another company. I was picking up castings from both places. And I could see the difference, even just in their raw form at that moment, that there was something different about the metal. And mm. I didn't know it was cast. I'm like, here, I want this cast in brass. I didn't think I was, I didn't know if I should be any more specific. I didn't know any other words to ask. I didn't, you know, I just, I knew that I wanted to have, I had a mold and I wanted it cast in brass. Um, And the second company that I started using with didn't use the same alloy as the initial company. And the initial company had this like bright and beautiful and lovely and rich. And it was like really slow to tarnish. And when it did tarnish, it was just kind of like this deeper color. It wasn't, didn't turn black. Like some, like a raw brass will turn really dark and and I and I was like this isn't right this doesn't look good I the, I don't know what's going on and and so I was asking the first company what is it called and they kept saying it's jeweler's brass and so the other guy didn't the, the second casting company he didn't know what that was he wasn't familiar with that alloy and so it's kind of like I've gone through several different casting companies because he wasn't willing to to bring on a new alloy. And so I had to find somebody else. And so since then, 
I've gone through a couple of different iterations and I know now questions to ask. I know, I know more about my alloy than I did when I first started. So I know some questions to ask. I know what to look for when I get, you know, my pieces back. I know what they should look like when, when they come back and when they don't look good, how to approach that conversation as uncomfortable as it is when you tell someone that they're, you know, the stuff that they produce for you isn't good. Did I lose a lot of money in that process? Yes, I have lost a lot of money. Like there's been a lot and I have a drawer, drawers full of, and I, I have a, a drawer full and I have a, a folder in my, in my phone called shitty castings. And it's <laughs> just like, it's, it's just pieces that, you know, didn't work out. It was a complicated relationship and they weren't able to produce what I wanted to do. And I'm, and my work is really organic. And so there's a lot of room for, for matter to not be 100% perfect, you know, like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm familiar with that. So yeah. And then your whole point too, about the fluctuation of costs, like that is another thing, you know, I'm employing someone to do a service for me. So I'm not just paying for the materials. I am paying for their labor. Like their hands inject every single one of my molds, their hands heat the metal and inject the molten metal, their hands cut all of those pieces off, they grind each one of them, it's all by hand, it's all by hand. I am paying them to do that for me. And so those labor costs went up significantly. I went on my last collection, I went, um, they sent me, I, I ordered a small amount of the first ones just to kind of like explore and see how everything was going to work. And I set my prices based off of those. And then just as I was about getting ready to go to a trade show, they sent out an email effective immediately. Our prices are going up. And in some cases they went up 300%. Like it was a lot. Mm. And so for me, I had, it was so much time spent. Like I had to like you know, sit back down with the calculator and redetermine what my costs were, reprice everything in the whole collection. And that wasn't just the new collection. It was all of the pieces in my entire collection that would also have that offset cost in there. And so mm-hmm. it, it's a lot. It was a lot. That was a really stressful time for me. And so n- knowing those things, knowing that there's going to be surprising things when you're making your collections or pricing your work or different things like that is you just don't know until you know. And I think that is kind of one of the biggest things. I had a woman reach out to me recently and she was like, you know, asking me some questions about, you know, where do I get it? You know, where do I get help from or whatever? And she was like, I just feel like I'm making it up as I go along. And I'm like, I don't (laughs) think you're ever going to not feel that way. Like, (laughs) even though I, you know, in in one one further example about this casting you know learning from from experience i the last casting company that i started using was this smaller woman owned business out of la and uh, one of my parts is labeled eclipse post and now this element can be used in i use it in different ways so yes it can be a post which has a like a post on the back but it also could have a hook. And so I have always just had that element cast the way it is. And then I bring it back into the studio and I solder either a wire onto it if it's going to be a hook earring or I solder a little post if it's going to be a post earring or I solder it onto a bracelet. And the woman I asked was asking her about costs and she says, oh, it's A to Z. It's it's just A to Z price. You know, the pricing is for finishing it A to Z. And I was like, well, what does that mean? She was like, well, it says that it's a post. So we'll solder the post on. And when you get it, it'll be complete and ready. And you can put it on your earring card. And I was flabbergasted. No <laughs> casting company has ever volunteered their service of soldering for me. I did not know that was a <laughs> thing that they could do. I assumed that I, as a jeweler, would do that on every single thing. I had no mm-hmm. idea. And of course, now I, I tried it. I was like, sure, let's see what that's like. And so I had her, I had her do, you know, five of them or whatever. And of course, the post wasn't soldered exactly where I wanted it to be. And, you know, they looked great, but they weren't exactly how I would do it. And so mm-hmm. now I'm going to think about whether or not I'm going to do that again. Does it save me time? Yeah, it does. Is it still all made by hand? Yes, it is. 
yeah, there's just so many questions, but still I'm like, oh my God, I've been casting stuff for like at least over 10 years. And do I claim to be an expert? No, but it's just wild when you get like presented with those things and you're like, oh my God, I'm so dumb. Or like, why didn't I know this before (laughs) or whatever, you know? So I think you're constantly going to always be feeling like you're making it up as you go along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can completely resonate, even though I am in a different industry. But I feel mm-hmm. like, yeah, anyone running a business, it's just you're constantly having those, oh, I'm so dumb moments. Yeah. <laughs> so I always like to ask people because I always, you know, love interviewing people who. They're just good people who do good things with their business and, you know, create good things. So I always like to ask, when you think about the future of the jewelry industry, what do you hope to see in the coming years? I don't know if this is like the jewelry industry specifically, but I think just the creative industry in general is the thought that there's enough for everyone Mm -hmm. and that we don't need to be gatekeepers, you know, like we can be gate Mm -hmm. openers. And I just like community is so important and valuable to me. And there's so much we have to learn from each other. And I have many people, yourself included, because I've reached out to you before, before we were even working together and you graciously took your time to talk to me where like, I just want people to feel safe asking questions and and feel safe not knowing and and not knowing because you know that people are not going to prevent you from learning. I think it's just um yeah, I just I really I love making friends. I love talking to people. I love um you know leaning on people. I love when um I can say, Hey, does this price feel weird to you? Or what do you think about this? Or have someone reach out to me and ask those same questions? Like, I think community around art is the best thing. I I just, I think that above all is that there's so much room for everything that anybody has to offer. And that we shouldn't feel so competitive with each other. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think that's probably the most important mm-hmm. thing to me at this time. I just feel like community is the most valuable. Going to shows and talking to my booth neighbors and you know, and hearing how their market went and like being frank about that, not just being like, Yeah, it went well. Like, well, mm-hmm. my goal was to make three thousand dollars and I made thirty five hundred dollars. Like I don't think that I need to compete with them and that I need to make exactly those same amounts. But it kind of gives me an idea of like how much money we can make, how much Mm -hmm. money other people made is important. Like when you go and apply for a job, you know what your salary is going to be in the creative industry. Wouldn't it be helpful if we were all upfront and frank about what we're making so that we can all be industry standards together? Like that would be great. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that's, that's what's to come from, from community is just being open to talking about those things. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy to talk about those things with anybody. Yeah. I think it, it can be so hard, especially right now. I mean, the world is in a weird place Mm -hmm. right now. A lot of different creative industries have felt that, I mean, Every industry has been feeling inflation. (laughs) Yeah. You know, especially a lot of small business owners are feeling the impact of all of that in different ways. And so everybody's stressed. Everybody's wondering am I the only one who's like struggling with this thing? Am I the only one who doesn't have it figured out? So, Yeah. yeah, I totally agree and think that the best thing that we can do is support each other through that community of sharing and Hmm. yeah making each other feel not alone yeah I mean we're all I mean 
we're self-employed. We are yeah. by <laughs> in essence, we are the only ones that are here. And mm-hmm. that is isolating enough. We don't need any more isolation. We just need more togetherness. And mm-hmm. so yeah, like I have I have a few people and they if they're least they listen to this podcast, they'll know who they are that I contact them and reach out and we are in a constant um, you know, either commiserating about how things aren't going well or working together to figure out new ways to make it work or sharing resources. The casting company that I just started using is is someone that a friend uses. So like all of that stuff is really, I like being in a place where people are free to share that information. I think that's really mm-hmm. important. Yeah. So I would love to hear what's next for Rebecca J Designs. I mean, now you've (laughs) been doing it full time for a while. You just launched Mm -hmm. a new collection and your rebrand and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What what are you hoping for for 2024? Do you have any plans, anything that you're like dreaming up? Yeah. Anything Mm -hmm. you can share with us? Yeah. So I did just launch a new collection. The Low Tide collection launched at the beginning of September along with my beautiful rebrand from you, Abby. And so I am still working on how I'm incorporating my rebrand and how I'm building up the kind of face of where I want this brand to go. And I think as a jeweler, it's felt important to me that maybe the next step is more fine jewelry. And, and so elevating my brand has been really a goal for me to begin doing. I, I think I've always had a, a, you know, an elevated brand, but I think working to kind of to, to bring it up and, and to do more fine jewelry, I have committed to doing another full year of doing trade shows. I saw that as the best avenue for me as a jeweler to grow my business. And it has been very impactful. It's expensive though. And so I committed to doing one more year of doing that to kind of really have a compare and contrast of like, does it do exactly what I thought it was going to do financially for myself? I dove into it because I like being in my studio and just working through my tasks versus schlepping all my stuff to a new city to set up for a trade show or, or not a trade show, but like a craft show, like that can be really tiring and wearing. And also I have a family and my daughter's 15 and I want to be here for her. And, and so I just, I like to be home. And, and so I felt like doing wholesale was kind of the best way to provide that for my life. And so I need another full year, I think, to really analyze the data on whether or not that is the best way for me financially. And so, but beyond that, I'm dreaming of, I, I, I want to put it out in the world that I would love to like apprentice with someone and or definitely want to take some classes in this next year and stone setting and goldsmithing. And so, yeah, I'm just kind of going to put that out into the world that like, I'm not sure yet where I want to take classes at and exactly in what, but I'm I'm letting the universe bring me the best thing. There's a there's a class in Florence that looks really amazing and I love to travel. And so if mm-hmm. I could couple those two things together, that would be incredible. There's like a week-long course in Florence, which I've been to Florence before, but it's like the you know, goldsmithing center of the universe there like the jewelry making there uh, that that is is like a it's amazing so to work Mm -hmm. with someone there would be incredible so yeah they have a class in October of 2024 that I just saw that looked really interesting and they have a couple of other ones but yeah so I would love to take some more classes in this next this next year and and to improve my skills Really, I Mm -hmm. feel like I'm not, I think it's my own brain that's kind of holding me back, but I'm afraid to work with gold and I'm afraid to work with stones. It's so expensive. And, and even though it's what I want to do, I'm just really nervous about doing it. And so I want to kind of have someone hold my hand for a little bit. And so I think that's why I'm going to do some classes or find someone to train me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Yeah. I'm afraid to do it on my own. I have all the supplies and I can do it. And just, I'm a little nervous and I, I want someone to hold my hand the first time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so cool though. I love that, that you're still just like wanting to learn. Yeah. And improve yeah. yourself even after, you know, so much time, but there's still always more to learn and I love it It feels like it kind of came full circle because we started by talking about your experience in college of not knowing what classes you wanted to take and now you're still kind of in that Uh same place so that's a perfect way to kind of close (laughs) close out the loop of your career but um, awesome so last question that I ask everyone from everything that you have accomplished so far as a business owner also, maybe just as a person in <laughs> general, what would you say you are the most proud of? Oh, my gosh. That's um, a hard question to answer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, especially because, like, if you're a mom, like, you'd be like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. most proud of my child. But, yeah, that's what some people, that's how some people have answered. <laughs> yeah. In past I mean, episodes. I that's really, it's definitely, it, being a parent is hard and being a wife is hard, you know, like, like being in a relationship. I've been with my husband since I was 18. And so that, I definitely feel proud of that personally. Those are probably two very personal things that I feel proud of. But I definitely, I feel proud of myself as a business owner. I, this year, I set a pretty what I thought was a crazy goal for myself financially. And I worked with my assistant and we developed like a goal setting dashboard so that I could see how I was, you know, I could witness that goal happening. And it's been an incredible force for me working and seeing what I'm doing. And also like, I'm kind of just like trucking along with these ideas that I had but seeing them manifest in this very physical way within and, you know, within this little goal setting dashboard. And it's just like a little like chart, you know, and it just kind of keeps going and it keeps going and it has a little trajectory on it. And the, the trajectory is like aimed directly at where I set my wild goal for myself. And so right now I feel pretty proud of the fact that I think I will end this year hitting that goal. And that felt crazy to me, that number. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm proud of that. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for your time and just, yeah, just sharing everything about what you've learned and how you do business. And yeah, you're just so generous always with sharing that type of stuff. So thank you so much. And I will absolutely have links for people to go and follow you to shop your amazing jewelry and all the things. I'll have links to those in the show notes. But yeah, just thank you so much. Thank you, Abby. I really appreciate you. I thank you for all of the hard work and dedication that you gave me for my rebrand project. And I'm really proud of it. And yeah, I just thank you for inviting me on here. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Heart Led Brand. If you want to follow along on our guest journey, support them, check out everything that they are doing. All of the links will be in our show notes and we will see you again next week for another interview with an amazing, thoughtful founder.